As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. It's proof that all of us and non-believers out there were right. That you know, all you have to, all you have to do is build around this guy, and, and you're going to be a great team. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the latest View from the Lane podcast, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from the Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly, and I'm joined on today's uh, program by the Athletics Jack Pitbrook and Tim Spears um, from so it was Spurs top, if you don't mind top of Group D after match day four in the Champions League. Live, of course, yesterday from the Google Gigantodome, as we're going to have to learn to call it over the years. Guys, uh, first of all, you know, in the WhatsApp group that we have, well, first of all, welcome the pair of you, Tim and Jack. The uh, the WhatsApp group we had, there was a lot of discussion last night about the, once again, about the pre-match music of White Hart Lane, which appears to have gone from the usual sleepy classics FM mode that most football grounds employ um, it's decided it's going to go all sort of 2006 indie heavy rock. What what was going on? Yeah, so they play about 12 minutes before kickoff. They played the first <laughs> half, but not the entire track, of <laughs> Susie by Boy Kill Boy. Which right. Anyone, anyone uh, in their early 30s will remember very, very clearly as part... So this was kind of one of their two hits, along with Civil Sin. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, great track. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to say 2000. It was when I was in sixth form, so about 2005 ish, and they were like at the kind of back end of, you know, the, the kind of top end of that sort of phase. You had um, uh, Block Party, Future Heads, Kaiser Chiefs. Um, the Libertines were slightly different, I suppose. Um, yeah, and then, but then, with all due respect, Boy Call Boy were kind of around. Let's say. Uh, White Rose Movement. Uh, I thought the rates were maybe a bit better than that. Maximo Park. Uh, yeah. Uh, Dead Sixties. Those those groups, by and large, and the bravery. And an old man speaks here. They haven't aged well, have they? A lot of that music. Honestly, no. I'd love to say yes. No, because no, no. I'm just, I'm just trying to be, but yeah, trying so to be I, objective. Yeah. And I, I tweeted about this, and obviously, you know, my uh, Twitter followers demographically skew towards me, uh, as, yeah. uh, as they would for anyone, I guess. And pe- I was delighted to see the reaction, Danny. There were so many uh, Spurs fans who, about my age who were 
many of whom in the ground who were delighted to have heard boy kill boy i mean it's 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 nice it's lovely but what's what's the motivation behind it that's what i was questioning i I did a piece on this a few weeks ago about how how clubs decide what to play before a match you know there's a lot of thought that goes into it at, at certain clubs and you know it's a bit of a it's a bit of a science to them you know building the crowd up to a frenzy which is just ludicrous you know let them sing for god's sake um or they play songs you know relate to the club obviously but this particular song oh so why are they playing this so that so I, I, and then i heard the word countdown um which obviously jack will know very well he's going to give us a rendition uh in a minute and i thought okay that's he's it he's got Ca- his guitar and everything is brilliant <laughs> i was okay i count down to kick off okay that sort of makes sense um and then i google the lyrics and it says countdown 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 to the disappointment I was like, okay, uh, yeah. right. Is 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 that deliberate or is that is that? Yeah, some they're trolling kind of, uh, us. They're trolling us. Yeah, aren't basically, they? yeah, yeah. But um, it was it was a weird setlist. I heard black grape, hard fire. I mean, black grape. Uh, not even Kelly's heroes. So I could sort of get some kind of narrative going. No, no. I I I I, I think I put the name of the song in the in the group, but I've I've never heard of it. Mm-hmm. It was just just bizarre, absolutely bizarre. And and hard fire got a play. Is that right? Apparently twice, according to James Moore. I definitely mm-hmm. heard it once. He said they played it back. <laughs> once wasn't enough. They played it back to back. Yeah, which we started off a thing. Um, and for, forgive us if you if you're joining us for the football. But this this um, podcast, possibly because of Jack, I don't, I can't think of any other reason, is uh, often talking about music. Indeed, I'm doing this in. A, I'm recording this in a John Martin T-shirt, Solid Air, best album, of course. Um, uh, and we often get into all this. Um, and we, uh, it caused me to reveal that I went through a phase when Hardfire was a thing. Um, I'm always trying to renew um, the almost narcotic-like rush that I got, if that's not a contradiction in terms, from music when I was young. Um, and I remember hitching my wagon for a few weeks to Hardfire back in the day. I genuinely thought they were a 21st century reincarnation of The Clash. I went to see them. I have the records uh, still. Um, but, of course, a bit like saying, you know, Jack, it, it, the disappointment of your teenage uh, the music that turned you on when you were a teenager not being as great now as it was then, um, I'm afraid my, my feelings about Hard Fire gradually have drifted away. Do you think that um, briefly thinking that Hard Fire were going to be the reincarnation of The Clash is a bit like briefly thinking Lewis Holtby was going to be the reincarnation of Luka Modric? Um, I never went that far with Holtby, I've got to be honest, but I think I, think I know what you mean. Yes, of course, it's not a, this is not a, a thing for people of advanced age. Everybody, from the moment, you know, we... We're forever chasing the dragon um, from the things that uh, tasted good to us when we were when we were three months old. Um, we're forever chasing some kind of dragon, all of us. And of course, it's true in football as well, where that memory, that cup final, that goal, those feelings, um, those chemicals rushing through your body. What are we all doing? Just trying to replicate that experience the first, second, and third time we had it. So that's the music pre-match. Ledley King's birthday today. I mean, it's not it's not like it's an important milestone, but he's forty-two, and we always we always like to raise a hat to the great man. And just in case you know, there are even younger people than Jack um, listening. We must never forget when you see Ledley toddling around now, um, being the club ambassador. Let never forget what 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 a great footballer he was. And if I might be so bold um, as well, a gift from whatever God watches over me and Spurs fans. I say that because um, after Sol Campbell's uh, transfer to Arsenal, let's just say those words carefully, um, I, I, on two occasions in my entire life, Jack and Tim, where I, I was lost for words. I was working on 
Football 365 and somebody came in. I was expecting him to go to Barcelona that day, come and say he signed for Arsenal. And I remember my mouth, I literally remember physically, my mouth moving and nothing coming out at all. Um, and yet within, from that horrible feeling, within a few months, um, Ledley King was in the Spurs team. And you just, I, I remember looking towards the sky, towards God I don't believe in and thinking, saying, well, thank you for this. Because clearly this was our gift um, after what happened with Sol Campbell. So I, I saw a picture of you, uh, Danny, the other day, that fantastic interview, uh, which I think we referenced last week with Jacob Whitehead. And you're pictured with Mr. Campbell. That's, mm, that's yeah. the lead image on the... So so, yeah. so what, what, did, what did you say to him about that? Uh, oh, well, look, the, the background to that is... I mean, I'll go through the routine here. It's true. Um that picture was, I was asked to get a picture of me with a Spurs legend, the only one I could find because I don't really collect pictures of myself. And I, you know, I, I've done it for that series, My Sporting Life. I've done um, Clive Allen and Glenn Hoddle and Graham Roberts, and I could go on and on and on. Um, but the only one I could find was Sol Campbell. And of course, people took an objection. They think you're, you're being, um, to use that word again, trolling them. Now, the background to this was I knew uh, Sol's agent reasonably well, Sky Andrew. And when the transfer went through, I remember Sky ringing me um, and saying, what do you think about this then? I said, are you kidding me? What, what, what kind of question is that? He said, well, I'm seeing Sol this afternoon. And because Sol had been on Under the Moon, a TV program I had at the time, a number of times, he said, well, he will want to know what you think. I said, well, you tell him this from me. Um, you tell him that when I'm an old man, I thought I'd be in Essex then, an old man on the porch in Essex nursing something red and pleasant and liquid on my chest, I will never, ever forgive him. But human beings are human beings. He did what he did. <clears throat> and I'm a human being too. And I don't really believe in bearing grudges. Things change. People do what they want to do. So he, we got the chance to do him in my sporting life. He had a book out. And it was a, you know, I, I, was, I, I, I think I t tweeted. Was I on Twitter then? I think I tweeted that I was going to do this. And you've got to have him, sort him out, have a go, all the rest of it. And, you know, we talked about it. I don't hate him for it. He does, he had to do what he had to do. But I do. I will tell you this, Tim, um, I, and you can listen back to that program. It's it's on the internet. Um, he has regrets about it. I can tell. Um, you know, he was glad that he won his trophies with Arsenal, um, but uh, there's some there's a part of him that really regrets what happened and the way and the, the fact that he can't lose it now that people just will not forgive him. And just as I have kind of forgiven him, I totally understand those that haven't. Listen, let's get on to the foot. Does that answer your question, Tim? It does, that, very much so. Or does that you. answer every question you ever wanted to ask me, as it as tends to be the case? <laughs> oh, no. I'm going to drag Thank those you. out week by week. Yeah, that interview with me about how I got into sports journalism is on The Athletic, like everything else is on The Athletic, um, which takes us to last night's game. First of all, I can't complain, can I? All I keep saying, it's my exact my phrase, isn't it? I'd rather see Spurs have a go... And uh, and try to win three two and risk losing three two and standing on the edge of their box um, and risk losing one nil and they did exactly that yesterday they they threw cautions to the wind um, I really enjoyed the game I could have done with that last five or six minutes if I'm truthful and I think Antonio Conte um, in his press conference particularly didn't like the last few minutes um, but what can you say Jack they're top of the group um, all bits a very tight group. Um, and we'll, as we'll discuss when we discuss the Everton game, in danger of having their best league start in the Premier League and top of the Champions League group. I may not like all the football all the time, but you can't complain about results. Really good. Really good last night as well. Yeah, so I thought for the first hour it was Spurs' best performance of the season. Um, maybe I'll make you right. Maybe slightly diminished by the fact that I didn't think Frankfurt were very good at all. But in terms of the aggression that they showed, how quickly they moved the ball forward, I thought 
you know, all the way back, all the way from the back, Longley and Romero were brilliant, I thought, last night in them in their use of the ball. And crucially, the thing about Spurs recently is that they're a perfectly functional team, but when Son isn't playing well, they've got no cutting edge. Like, that's what we saw at Arsenal, that's what we saw in Frankfurt last week. Whereas last night, because Son was so good again, and also I thought Kane was brilliant as well, playing in that kind of classic... And Hoiberg, Kane, they, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Hoiberg and Benteke we can get to later. I think they've been Spurs' oh. best two players for the last month or so. But when, when Kane and Son play that well up front... The team's got cutting edge again, and all of a sudden, like it doesn't, they don't look negative, they don't look defensive because they're able to slice straight through teams. So some of the football they played in that first hour was exhilarating. Um, so yeah, I'd say all, obviously the last thirty minutes were kind of weird and rubbish in in different ways, but overall, really good performance. Yeah, I, 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 obviously a word of caution, as Jack kind of says about, about Frankfurt. I, I thought basically over 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 the two games against them, Spurs gifted pretty much every single one of the chances that they had. Obviously, there was there was Dyer's mistake for the goal. I think it was Dyer's mistake for their pretty much their only chance last week as well, and then a, you know free header from a corner. Um, with this absolutely needlessly jittery finish, I, I couldn't believe what I was watching. To be honest, you know, from from in the eighty in the eightieth minute, it was all over. It was all over, and 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 there was this parade of substitutions and and resting players and great and it, as Conte sort of referenced af- afterwards, he he himself he basically said I thought it was over without actually saying it because a manager wouldn't say that, um and he said the players thought that and and he, and he suggested that the fans thought that as well, um but it wasn't so much complacency it was just the fact that they dropped their intensity which which has been what, what had worked so well for the previous sort of 70 80 minutes but yeah i i i do agree with with jack in terms of a, a complete performance restricting the opposition's opportunities playing through the press really well creating opportunities and and kane when they needed him just completely taking the game by the scruff of the neck you know that the, the assist for the first goal comes and gets the ball quick turn through ball and some with a great finish, and then the second one, that solo run to win the penalty. You know, just really felt like he was he was coming to the fore and taking the game by the scruff of the neck. They knew how important it was last night. They had to win, and they did. And now all of a sudden, they're, they're one win from, from going through with a game to spare, which which felt so unlikely. You know, like last week. And because um, of all the the, the fun of the, the three goals and the rest of it, let, let's not forget as well. After Kane missed the second penalty, um, they did. You knew that Frankfurt would get an equalising chance. What about that save from Hugo Lloris? I know you're going to say he's got gloves on. That's his job to save that. That was a tremendous save. I thought the one is this the one on sort of 75 minutes the tip yeah, over. Sorry. Yeah, I, yeah. Sorry, yeah. it was before the penalty, wasn't it? It was a great save. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I, 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 I could see a chance coming at the end. Spurs were just were 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 fluffing around at the back, scuffed clearances. You could sense you could sense the panic. Really, I think a big part of that was due to some of the players who weren't on the field. Eric Dyer had gone off. Hoiberg had gone off by that point, and and they just sort of lost control in that central. No, they had a, they had they had a hilarious midfield by that stage, didn't they? <laughs> if you if you count Hill as playing in midfield, um, and um, Lucas Moore on the wrong side for him, and all, all kinds of interesting things that happened by that stage. Antonio Conte asked about um, asked the fans after the game in in Frankfurt to make the atmosphere in the stadium amazing. Now, of course, since then, we've had the horrible incidents of Ventrone's death. And what was the atmosphere like? Because, of course, I wasn't there. What I will say is I saw, even through a large screen television, the Eintracht fans were fantastic. But what was the, the atmosphere in the ground like for the game? I thought the atmosphere was good. Uh, the Frankfurt fans were really good. I have to say, there were quite a lot of empty seats. And I've had a few... I've had a few, I mean, these were visible from where we were sat um, in the top in the top tier of the stand opposite where, uh, like the main stand where, 
where we were. Um, and I think that you know this is a problem that is the responsibility of the club. I think it's the, I think it's the duty of the club to price games in a way which fills the stadium. Uh, clearly, I think if they you know given that there were thousands of unsold seats last night, that is you know I think the club should react to that in terms of their pricing policy for future games. That said, I didn't. I mean, I'd be lying if I said I thought that that made a big difference to the atmosphere. I thought the atmosphere was really good, but I thought you know that was a function of a the Frankfurt fans being so good, and also b Tottenham playing so well. Like yeah. because Tottenham you know scored those three goals in the first half, there was this amazing sense of forward momentum going from going one nil down to three one up in the space of about twenty minutes. Um, and actually, Spurs should really have been four one up at the end of the first half. Um, when Trap made a good save from Son, so mm. yeah, atmosphere good, uh, ticket pricing policy not so good. Yeah, it's it's not it's not good when you've got a must win Champions League game that that that, that isn't sold out and, and Spurs aren't in the Champions League every season by any means. So um, yeah, there's definitely something oh, for, for the club uh, to look at. You'll regret saying that, Tim. That won't age well. That that, that statement there, <laughs> no way. Um, what I mean, make a guess: ten thousand less than than capacity. No, no, it wasn't that many. No, it, was, no, it, was okay. just, it was just, it was just right at the top, ab- above the camera line. It probably wouldn't have showed up on TV at no, all. No, I didn't really. notice any um, empty seats at all. To be yeah, fair. I, yeah. I, I would say a thousand or two. At oh, most, okay, yeah. but so even there, so, there even 55, so, sorry, the attendance last night was fifty-five thousand one hundred eighty. So that's seven thousand short, isn't it? So about, yeah, a few thousand yeah. short. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I, I, I mean, talk about um, weeing into the wind um, about asking football clubs to look at the particular pricing policy but we're, 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 we've suggested what they can do um, James was also at the game last night uh, normally our colleague here as well on the view from the lane um, I think we've answered his question but he sent us this little note he said uh, Spurs played with so little intensity between the red card and the second Frankfurt goal completely on top up against 10 men um, and we're all over the shop and just stopped playing well, I think that was a combination, wasn't it? The, the substitutions moved things around and in, inevitably, um, it, it, as I keep saying, I've, I've said it before in, in, on other things that I do about Premier League games, the mass substitution tells the players on one side that the manager thinks the game is finished yeah. and they come off 3% and professional football doesn't allow you to come off 3%. It's kind of amazing that Spurs didn't have a shot against ten men. They were playing. They played against ten men for like half an hour. Um, it, you know, against a team who they're much better than, and they were at home and they were winning. And yet they ne- they never they never really. I mean, they had moments. For example, that you know, obviously the missed penalty, the Gill header from the Kane cross that didn't go in. Some quite clever moves that didn't come to anything. But to not to not press home the advantage in that situation like that, I imagine that in private, Conte will be furious with the players that they came that close to not winning a game, which they should have won a hundred times out of a hundred. So I wrote, a piece, I wrote a piece last night, which was sort of focused on the madcap last 10 minutes. And yeah, lo, 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 there was lots of fun to write about and whatever. However, I use the term Spursy. It's quite a tongue-in-cheek. I'd say 95% of what I write as is, is, is I do so with my tongue in my cheek. Um, I've been absolutely hammered in the comments section underneath today. Basically, well, this guy, this guy sums it up. Tim, some advice. Learn the definition of what Spursy means before bandying it around here in these parts, buddy. People saying it's infuri- this is infuriating, especially when he, he's so open about knowing nothing about the club. Which, to be honest, I don't think I've ever said. But anyway, uh, hammered by a few people for using that term. I, you know, you, you hear it from afar. I've sort of got a loose meaning of what it means. I'm pr- pretty sure I know what it means. But can can you enlighten me, since I need to be enlightened clearly, guys, um, as to the correct definition of this term and, and when it should be used? Because last night, if if, if they draw 3-3 with Frankfurt against 10 men, having been 3-1 up with three minutes to go, would that not be a Spursy thing to do, or is that completely incorrect? 
Jack will have his own view of this, but I, I get really, really annoyed um, because the, the word has, it has become, become lazy shorthand for almost anything, and everyone has their own definition of it. Mostly in the media, it just means when Spurs do something negative. Um, but all teams lose football matches, um, and you don't get them caught, you know, they don't get caught, called Liverpool y, do they? Um, so it's supposed like Spurs somehow are not allowed to have an off day or to fail or to have a bad team. To me, Spurs is much more um, what we saw yesterday, where they did brilliant things and then stupid things and end up where. And that's my definition winning a match 3 2 that could have gone any way. Um, but Jack, you're a, you're semi neutral on the phrase, I suppose. What what, what do you understand by Spursy? Well, I, I guess in terms of common usage, when people say it, it means uh, you know uh, underperforming, messing up, maybe not quite delivering mm-hmm. on promise or talent in the team. Uh, I can see why Spurs fans might push back against it. I suppose. I mean, it's uh, and like you say, Danny, it's. I think the way that football works is people tend to assume that certain clubs always behave in certain ways although of course that isn't true at all it's like when it's like when people support i don't know liverpool or manchester united and say oh we always make things difficult for ourselves don't we uh you know in the midst of winning trophy after trophy after trophy yeah yeah. yeah. uh so i think that you know everyone likes people often like to to think that clubs have these unique characteristics which they do but i think that like you know, underperforming or messing up is not. Do you know what? Them. Those characteristics are usually contained within the the crowd, within the support base, within right. uh, and within the collective memory. Um, they are not what's going on in the field where new managers come and go, directors of football, and that people are always trying to change things. Um, the only thing that is unique about football clubs is the is the groups of people who follow them around. So, Tim, yeah. what did you have to say about about Brian Hill, or do you want to add? No, further no, I, was, to I, I just a, think um, you know. It's it's a term for fans to use if they if they if they want to or not, and I guess an outsider per se coming in and, and using that term, however however sarcastic and tongue in cheek it was, I guess would, would rile some, and some just won't care. Um, as for Brian Hill, I thought he, I mean, I love his enthusiasm. He's like he's like a he's like a spaniel chasing a bone, isn't he? Really, but um, you never know quite where you're going to get from him. I, th- I thought I was really annoyed with with uh, Kane's cross because. A, a low ball across the face there would have probably been a tap in and a lovely goal and I swear to round it off but he delayed it at first and then he put it in the air I was like he's only yeah. five foot seven according to Google he's not going to reach that poor lad um well uh, maybe maybe Kane sees him uh, this is the excuse isn't it? he sees him in training every day and maybe he's brilliant in the air maybe he's Richarlison too <laughs> yeah um I'm not not apparently from the way he went for it or didn't go for it I'm, no. not, I'm not sure I'm not I'm not entirely convinced he's ready for the rigors of um of Premier League football in terms of you know a half an hour stint off the bench or a start or anything like that, but I certainly like to see more of him, and I, I certainly think he's got a he's got a, a place in the squad for the last few minutes with energy, enthusiasm, direct running, offers something that other players in in the squad don't. So um, yeah, I, I'm re- I'm enjoying his cameos. You, you you can't take your eyes off him. He's so like he's so enthusiastic and he's skillful and he tries really hard. I mean, the da- he still does look like. A twelve-year-old playing with a bunch of seventeen-year-olds, uh, and you know he 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 gets knocked off the ball very very easily. And that th- this has happened in both of his cameos in both Frankfurt games uh, over the last week. 
but like the, the moment where he won the penalty was incredible. In the course of about 20 seconds, he won the ball, lost the ball, won the ball, lost the ball, won the ball again, did this great shop inside, I think it was Smolcic, uh, who's off the bench for, for Frankfurt, to win the penalty, which obviously came put over the bar. And even that header, like I, I agree that the cross was a bit overhit, but the way that he threw himself yeah. to get it was, uh, you know, it's like a, I don't know, um, I was going to say a salmon. I don't know if salmon's actually jumped like that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I think I love his enthusiasm and his commitment. I think if I was Conte, I'd be uh, kind of annoyed by how whenever he get I don't whenever he gets the ball, he it does tend to end up with the opposition pretty quickly. But he's it's not for lack of effort. No, I, and you know I think we we underestimate the uh, importance in modern football of sheer physicality at our, at our peril. Yeah, um, it is a track and field sport now played by hugely skilled technicians. It, 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 you, 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 know, you look at these blokes, they haven't got a pick on them, but you bounce off them, don't you? I mean, I'm, it's, always been this, I mean, it's always been the case. I used to work with Alvin Martin, um, bless him. Um, and Alvin you know, was a man in his mid-50s when, he, when we first started working together. And I remember once touching Alvin on the shoulder to say, hey, mate, well, I clapped, clapped my hand. And my hand resonated with the pain. He, is, he was literally like a brick building. It was like slapping a brick building quite hard. Um, and you forget that these, these blokes are strong, strong, strong. Um, well, well done to Hill. He got the penalty. And, but as I say, I think I agree with you, Tim, at this stage. And you can see why Conti thinks it too. If you're going to be bouncing off people, you have to be an extraordinary footballer uh, to make that work. Um, because I always try to like to be fair on here, Jack, um, we should mention one or two things that happened in the in the, Euro, in the Champions League last night. Tangen Domble, who I'm first to um, decry and uh, you like to defend, um, won, won the penalty for Napoli uh, last night. Um, they beat Ajax 4-2. Stephen Bergwijn got a penalty for the Dutch champions. And let's be fair, this is Tanguy Ndombele starting Jack for the best team in Europe who isn't called Manchester City. Napoli are, yeah, Napoli are the currently best. the second best team in, 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 in the competition. Yeah, they're playing some amazing stuff. Yeah, it's, they are. Uh, uh, yeah, it, you know, it's, it's proof that all, all of us and non-believers out there were right. That you know, all you have to, <laughs> all you have to do is build around this guy, and, and you're going to be a great team. Well, of course, he's still a Spurs player, so he may yet reap the benefits of that. You know, um, I guess looking at the Spurs dugout, it depends. It very much depends on who is occupying uh, those seats. Um, listen, we'll get we'll come back in a few seconds' time. Um, we'll talk some more about Harry Kane's. Uh, finishing. We'll preview the game against Everton. Um, I suppose I should just say um, that you know it. It feels good. It, it, they're not anywhere by no means through yet or anything like that. But Conte, you could tell in his post-match press conference, was saying how important it was to win that game um, because you then have it back in your own hands. And I know what he's thinking: win the next game, and then we can rest people um, when they go to Marseille. Um, yeah, but- so, so the big thing for the next game is they really need Frankfurt to do them a favour. So Frankfurt are hosting Marseille while Tottenham are playing Sporting. And obviously Tottenham need to beat Sporting, which will put them up to 10 points. If Frankfurt beat Marseille, then Spurs, I believe, have won the group. Uh, because even if Frankfurt win their final game away at Sporting and Spurs lose to Marseille, then Tottenham have... Tottenham beat yeah, Frankfurt right. on head to head, so Tottenham, so Tottenham would still win the group. If Tottenham beat Sporting next time out and Marseille and Frankfurt draw, then Tottenham will just need to avoid a three-goal defeat in Marseille. Um, but look, Spurs would love to have the group wrapped up without Marseille because then they can finally rest people. Like this has been a bizarre 
stage in football, I think, you know, having two games a week every single week. So if Spurs can go to Marseille and not have to take Dyer, Lloris, Kane, Hoiberg, Benteke, that would be an amazing thing to be able to do. Although Especially ahead of ahead of Liverpool at home as well. I, exactly. I, think, I think it's Tuesday to Sunday, but still, you know, to have a free week ahead of Liverpool at home would be would be That would make a preferable. world of difference if they can yeah. do it. So yeah, fingers crossed that well, results go their way next time. That's why last night was a really important victory and it was achieved um, with my definition of Spursiness and in the first hour they played the best stuff we've seen all season so um, I've got no room for complaint whatsoever let's hope they keep it up against Everton which is what we'll be uh, talking about during the second half of today's uh, podcast where you listen to me Danny Kelly Jack Pitbrook and Tim Spears This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, welcome back uh, to The View from the Lane with me, Danny Kelly, Jack Pitbrook, and I was going to say Tim Spears, but such is the way, the way of live podcasting, Tim has been called away to do something else. So it's just quality now, isn't it? Quality all the way uh, for the rest of the podcast, myself and Jack Pitbrook, which is, Jack, let's be fair, how I always wanted it. And here we are now, finally, just the two oh, of no, us. No, we finally got Absolutely, our way. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so we're eloping yeah. into... Two large podcast cuckoos have sent the rest of them <laughs> scattering to the the four winds. Um, actually, uh, Tim, I know you, you you got involved with this, and I, I, I was struggling with this because I, I can't remember um, too many weirdo goals by, by Harry Kane, but because the winner at Brighton clearly went in off some part of his spine... Um, Tim has been writing about Kane's weirdest finishes. Um, did you? I think you, you certainly from the WhatsApp group, you were remembering one or two oddities as well, weren't you? Yes, this is just one of the things that I like about Kane is that he, you know, I think he's a, he's a very inventive player. Like he's often doing, he, he's very he's very quick thinking when it comes to what you know what would be an effective thing to do right now even if it's not necessarily kind of textbook. textbook yeah so we saw that with his weird kind of stooped ducking almost sat on the floor header uh at brighton last week and so it got us thinking about other weird cane finishes over the years the two that stood out to me were leicester away in 2019 where cane um 
I think it was 2019, where Kane was kind of on the ground and he was kind of toppling over, running onto a through ball and sort of volleyed the ball into the ground and it bounced back over. And he so he got pushed in the back, that's right, by Soyuncu, the lesser centre-back, falling onto the ground, volleys the ball into the floor and it bounces up and over Kasper Schmeichel. It's one of those goals where you needed a few replays to see exactly what he'd done. Um, and it was brilliant. And there's another one which, which stood out, which I think is one of my favourite Kane goals of all, which was in one of those long-forgotten COVID-era games behind closed doors right at the end of the Jose Mourinho tenure. So it would have been March, April 2021, where Kane gets the ball on the edge of the box and without really looking up, just kind of whips the ball into the near top corner of the goal like a with the arc of a golf shot of a sort of finish. I've never really seen, I've never really seen a player hit a ball like that before. No, before. I mean, he's got that combination of, of uh, he's got, you know, great technical skills, and I don't know whether it's whether it is uh, imagination or instinct, um, but whatever it is, it's magical. And and uh, good luck to him. I struggle to think of um, weird things that he'd done because to me, it's all becoming one massive um, sort of amorphous cane goals ball in which he. I mean, are we into single figures with that penalty? That is now is it nine behind Jimmy Greaves' all time goal scoring record? I think so. Yeah, and look, a lot of what Kane does is very. Uh, I mean, pr- predictable is probably the wrong word, but a lot of what he does does. You know, follow certain patterns. Like he's he's so he's so meticulous in his preparation. There are certain mm. goals and things that we have seen Kane do millions of times before. Like that. Like for me, the classic Kane finish is you know on the edge of the box, maybe about twenty yards out, find finding enough space and just drilling it into the bottom corner of the goal uh, beyond the goalkeeper. Often reach. the goalkeeper's right, isn't it? He has that shot. That, yeah, yeah exactly. he has that shot down he, to absolute pass. I think he knows that if he puts it, if he puts, if he puts it hard into the bottom corner no goalkeeper will be able to get there. And this is something he will have done literally millions of times in his life in training. Yes. And is now able to take it into match situations. Similarly, there's a kind of finish where he's kind of cutting in from the left-hand side. Uh, you know, he's coming left-hand side, driving towards goal into the box and uh, drives it across into the far bottom corner of the goal. Again, that's a goal I've seen him score dozens and dozens of times for Spurs before. And even, to be honest, his assist for Son last night, where he kind of pulled, he got the ball, he kind of pulled back into the number 10 space, got the ball from Emerson Royale, turned, quickly slid a pass in behind for Son. Son was running onto it, and Son finished. I've seen, we've seen that combination millions of times before. How many goals have we seen Son score set up by Kane in exactly that number 10 position? Well, I think we normally would have the number, yeah, dozens, yeah, literally. Dozens and dozens and dozens. So a lot of what Kane does is very, uh, it's like perfected technique. It's rehearsed, it's and that's nothing wrong yeah, with that. Rehearsed. Nothing's wrong with saying no, that. N- not at all. But equally, he's also got the capacity for, uh, you know, thinking on his improvisation. Feet and doing weird yeah. St- yeah, improvisation, uh, which I think is an element of his game, which I think is maybe a little bit forgotten. I think by some people. Yeah, I can't. I can't quite work out the balance whether um, he's got all these goals because he he gets the occasional weird one, or the weird ones come along when you're just always in goal scoring positions and you have his ability. To as you say, uh, think on think on your I think think on your feet. Is that the right phrase for footballers? Um, but um, we, we should be very very glad that he does. Which reminds me, because we you know um, a couple of things very very quickly about, about last night's game. They relate um, uh, the uh, we, we didn't get a chance to say Son's second goal by the way, and wow, Hoiberg's pass. The fact that Son afterwards said that they looked at each other, they saw each other. Um, and the, the, you know, I'm going to go back in time. That was Hodlesk. That volley, yeah. the, the combination of technique and power 
pure huddle. The goalkeeper, you know, if you were on the Eintracht bench, you'd say the goalkeeper. Kevin Trapp did well to get out of the way of that, didn't he? Because we'd need another goalkeeper if he if he got anywhere near it. Amazing. And what it was just a sign that I think of what is two two things stood out to me about that. One is that it shows how quickly confidence can change. You know, Son obviously had been having a pretty rough time of it recently. But then having scored that earlier, you know, he he was a completely different player yesterday. And that goal, I just, you know, that goal was, it felt like kind of the son of last season rather than the son of this, of this season. So, so that was great. And the other thing is, what a, what an attacking player Hoiberg is turning into at the moment. Is, like it, is so, he playing further forward? Because something's changed, hasn't it? I think, yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously, he did, he did play further forward in the Brighton In the game three, yeah, of course. Because he had yeah. Bissouma there yeah. to cover. Last night, I just think it was more that Tottenham were on the front yeah. foot for the whole time. They had Eintracht really well penned in. Uh, but he's added. I mean, look, he's clearly not the most talented player. Actually, I mean, he's he's probably not as talented as Benton Kerr, who's a look a lot classier on the ball. But Hoiberg's ability to actually, you know, whether it's assists or pre-assists, or he's getting better at those kind of kind of long flat passes. You know, usually to somebody running in behind a fullback to pull it back or whatever. He also he he's also drills it. He's, like he's understood now. He he drills it at Kane, knowing that Kane's touch won't let him down. And that, exactly, and that really yeah. helps in the in the, in the trans, so-called that, transition. Barreling run down the right, interchange with Richarlison, and then the, the crossing. It made me think, look, we spend all our time agonising about who's going to play right wing back for Spurs. Yeah. And we come up with increasingly weird ideas. Like, could it be Kuliseski? Could it be Lucas Moura? Why not Hoiberg? Why not Because they can't right afford to have him not in the middle of the pitch just now, exactly. can they? Yeah, exactly. And somebody yeah. says... So, kind of only about 40% taking the piss with this one. Yeah, somebody, um, somebody said to me on Twitter, oh, you'll have to rethink your... Um, put up a little film of things that Hoiberg had done. You'll have to rethink your six and a half out of ten every game. Mate, that's a compliment. Most players in my mind get four out of ten most games. If you're six and a half out of ten, seven out of ten every game, you're doing great. He's absolutely been Spurs' most consistent player so far I, this season. I think Hoiberg and Benson Kerr have been probably their best players over the course of the season. Those two are dire. I mean, Kane, Kane has scored a lot of goals, but I think I with Kane, I've, at the moment, I feel like there's another level to come, whereas I think Hoiberg and Benson Kerr are playing 100% of their powers and that's really good. If they if they continue like that and Kane and Son both find their, their best form together, then maybe something is coming down the pipeline. One last thing about the game as well, and I couldn't let it pass. Um we talk about not doing things textbook and uh, Harry Kane. Um I can laugh about the first Eintracht goal now because Spurs won the game. What was what was uh, Romero doing when his I mean maybe he was off balance, but instead of trying to stretch a foot out to block the shot when the ball was pinballing around the Spurs six-yard area, he somehow decided that the best thing he could do is to launch himself torpedo style, one foot off the ground, try and head the ball clear. I mean, it, 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 he was a yard short of the ball. It, it was never going to work. But in terms of, I, I don't know what kind of, it's not a thought process. Things are moving too quickly there. What kind of instincts does he have that you think, I know what I'll do. I'll launch myself head first at the ball and see if it's <laughs> yeah. I think the only players I've seen try that before are Phil Jones and John Terry. Yes, there's a yes. famous Phil Jones one from Man United. I think John Terry did it for England against Slovenia in the 2010 World Cup. The John, I mean, you know, the Phil Jones thing for a player who gets much deride. That was a brilliant piece of. That was almost heroic what he tried to do there. Well, uh, our, fr- our friend Romero had a go at it last night, but Christian, you've got to be a bit near as the actual ball to influence it. You know what I mean, Danny? I've got one for you. Yeah. So in in the mix zone last night after so. Normal deal after the game last night of quite you know uh, everyone all the players and other people come through the mix zone and there were three different winners of the World Cup came through one of them two of them stopped for an interview one of them was just mingling 
and the, they they played for three different World Cup winning teams. Mm-hmm. What Can playing or playing or two of them were playing. One of them was one of them was not playing in the game. Well, Larice. Yeah. Um, Mario Goetze. Yeah. Who scored the winner for Germany all those that's eight years ago, whatever it is. Um, <laughs> did Conte win it himself? No, he didn't, did he? He wasn't in that Italian team. He would have been very young in 1982. Yeah. Oh, sorry. It was uh, 1982, you're saying. Okay. No, it wasn't. Oh, it's not, no. not from the no. Italy 1982. No, 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 quite. No, I actually can't think. T- tell me. It was the great Ricky Villa. Oh, Ricky was there, was he? Ricky Villa was there, yeah. How yeah. lovely. I think he kind of, he's obviously quite involved in the sort of Spurs, overall Spurs scene, um, you know, goes to events, as does Ardiles. I didn't actually see Ardiles there yesterday, but um, he is quite often at games. But yeah, Ricky Villa, and I think he was with with Mickey Hazard, were wandering around, milling around in the, in the mix zone after the games. So I wonder if they were having a bit of um, World Cup banter. Um, well, pedants, pedants will point out that uh, Ricky didn't play in the final, um, but he did play in the, he would in the game. Still got a med- would he still, still got a medal? I think so, yeah. I think, absolutely. I think so. They didn't make a big show of it in those days, The uh, of the whole squad getting medals. I mean, because... The, the 78 World Cup, where, where Villa was in the squad, it was a, the presentation was particularly weird because um, it was done by General Videla, um, who was the uh, the military leader of the junta, taken over the de- ousted the democratic government um, in Argentina. So you had this rather Olympic Games 1936 style presentation where Daniel Passarella goes up, captain of Argentina, and um, the Let's be fair, you can't look at him sideways because you'll end up, you know, in his full military uniform. I think he wore his uniform. I can't remember exactly now. I remember being even, in, you know, as a young man thinking, oh, this is this doesn't smell right, does it? You know, there's where is the president of um, of Argentina? Where's the head of state? And then not, not just a bloke who's taken over with tanks. We'll talk about Kane and the, and the number of goals he gets off his backside and, and, and all the rest of it. Um, worth noting, though, that he's got a, a lot of goals this year at the start of the season, which is not his usual pattern. I think it's his best, one of his best ever starts to a season for Kane. I think he's what, on nine now, off yeah, the top of my head. Yeah, nine, yeah. And often it takes him till nearly Christmas before he gets really, really, really motoring. Um, of course, he's timing his run for the World Cup, knowing Harry. He's got it all sorted out, hasn't he? Um the one or two people suggesting that um, the competition with Haaland is spurring him on. I, I don't believe that, but I tell you what, I do believe that um, Haaland being so obviously, unless he gets one of these muscular injuries that occasionally blights him, he's going to be the golden boot. It's taking a lot of pressure off Kane. He doesn't have to be the best striker that anyone's ever seen because you can't be that at the moment in England, can you? Yeah, indeed not. I mean, I don't know what numbers Haaland's going to end up with this season. But and of course, the thing, like the really terrifying thing, is that. While most of the best players in the country are get you know getting physically and mentally drained by a World Cup in Qatar mm-hmm. in November and December, I imagine Holland will probably go to the you know a few weeks on the beach, yeah. a bit of pre, a bit of gentle preseason with Mo Salah, yeah, yeah, and on Boxing Day when everyone else is thinking, oh my god, how was I only playing in Qatar ten days ago and now I've got to play a Premier League game? Holland will be uh, you know have all this pent up energy and hand up banging another seven goals on Boxing Day, I imagine. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, everything is is swinging in his favour, and you know he's a fantastic player. I think I think it's good for Harry to not be the the the, the imagined 
you know, people talk about Mo Salah as well, but as centre forwards go, he doesn't have to be the king of the kings anymore. And uh, uh, and he's playing as well as ever, you know. And if he gets to his top form, we really will see something. Which remind me, um, after the, uh, the before the game, he was asked again about Bayern Munich. Can we clear up exactly what he said? Um, so Kane was asked about the links with Bayern Munich, and Kane's answer was, "I'm focused on Tottenham Hotspur and trying to do my best for us. For sure, Bayern are a top top club." But all my concentration is on Tottenham and trying to win tomorrow night. Uh, I will. I mean, my my view on this, I wouldn't read too much into Kane saying Bayern are a top top club. That's just politeness. Well, that's also a fact, you know. Yeah. And, it's, and it's also true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I I don't feel like I don't get the impression at all that this is something which is there's any likelihood of it happening. Um, that, that that that's just my reading of the situation at the moment. Yeah, and. Uh... Which, which means at some stage, let's suppose Kane is determined to stay at Spurs, break all the records, win all the trophies, all that. At some stage, you're going to have to offer him um, an amazing contract, and he deserves an amazing contract. Um, but the player with the most amazing contract in world football, Kylian Mbappe, is a couple of months after signing that, completely unhappy now. Um, Paris Saint-Germain vir- virtually gave him the, the, the running of the club, um, Spurs won't have to go that far with Kane, will they? Uh, no, no. I think the the I think the chances of Daniel Levy handing over uh, you know, the running of the club <laughs> to any player, even Harry Kane, I think are basically zero. Uh, so I don't think there's any any chance of an Mbappe type situation happening happening at Spurs. Um, I think that the ultimately there's no Kane's got no real incentive to sign the new deal imminently. I no, think. No. I think Kane just wants. I imagine Kane's focus is. Or I think Kane's focus, to be honest, is, is on what he says it is. Yeah. Which is do as well as he can for Tottenham for the next month try and win the World Cup for England, come back and finish the, the season at Tottenham, and then the, there will be plenty of time in 2023 to talk about the contract. I mean, I think it's... I don't I don't get the sense that there's a sense of panic or anything at Tottenham about it. There's quite the opposite. The, my, my impression is that there's actually more confidence at Tottenham than there's been for quite a while about the possibility of uh, hitching Kane to a new deal. Obviously, he turned one down in uh, about 14, 15 months ago. But I think um, I think they probably hope they will be able to get it done. Equally, I think from Kane's point of view, he'd probably want to see what would happen with Antonio Conte as well. Yeah, I think what, those two things appear to be um, linked. Yeah, that, that, that's fair to say. And as for the people at PSG, um, before you have to be careful what you do when that was an extraordinary thing they did with um, Kylian Mbappe's contract. And usually the answer to all human dilemmas are in Shakespeare. If you can't find them in Shakespeare, you'll find them in Bruce Springsteen. There's a line in the Springsteen song which says, the poor man wants to be rich and the rich man wants to be king. And Mbappe is trying to make that leap from rich man to king as we speak. Um, unless he's just been extraordinarily 4D chess clever and got um, Chuamani and Camavinga, his mates, into the Real Madrid team before he makes the hop over because they couldn't have afforded all of them at once. So maybe he's just been very, very clever. Um, this is incredible, Jack. The team is top of the Champions League group, albeit in a very tight group. And if they win against Everton, which we'll look at next, at home at the uh, Google Gigantodome, um, it'll be their best start ever in the Premier League. And so... People like me who like to pick at the performances and get fed up with Antonio Conte's um, attitude and starting position sometimes, you just have to put your hands up and say, if they achieve that, that will be amazing. Because Spurs have had some decent teams down those years um, and it will be their best ever Premier League start. Yeah, it would be. I think what's interesting about this is that 
like for example the benchmark is 2016-17 you know the famous 86 point season which we talk about a lot on this podcast but that season Spurs really grew into the season like they they weren't amazing at the start of it and it was only really kind of November December that they hit their stride at which point they were unbelievably good now that that season clearly isn't going to be like this for a few reasons one is that Spurs have started really well they've actually started better than they did that year then there's the the fact of the World Cup and clearly, if you're, you know, back in the Pochettino era, the team was built to, in terms of, you know, fitness and conditioning, it was very carefully uh, calibrated. So the players would get better and better as, this, you know, they'd have the big physical peak in over Christmas and then they'd try and get keep on getting better from there. Whereas that's not really how it works at, at the moment because the teams have got to try and, um, you know, get points on the, I think, I think the, my feeling is the teams are focused on, you know, can we try and get points on the board early? It's kind of stay in, stay in there because you can't then, predict what the World Cup's going to do to individual yeah. players and, and collective mentalities. Start again in in December. Um, I mean, Hugo Lloris actually talked about this in the mix zone last night, um, and he said, "At the end, what we all want is to go to the next round of the Champions League." I would say it doesn't matter the way we do it. You just want to get the points and to be in a good position before the World Cup, in the Premier League, and in every competition we're involved in. Um, so basically, I think you know the I. I think with Spurs at the moment, it's, it is kind of about points on the board right now, and uh, I know that they're not. You know, some of the performances haven't looked great recently. Equally, they look a lot better when Son's playing well, and I don't want to blame Son for this, but clearly Son is the cutting edge of the team, and if he's playing well, then everything else seems to f- kind of fits together better. Um, I, the big question really is, A, can they sustain these good results you know, all the way through until that Leeds game, which rounds off the first half of the season? And then you know, what their performance, fitness, results, levels are going to be like in the second half of the season, I think is anyone's guess at the moment. I've got no, I've got no. no idea. What I don't think anybody, like. exactly. I don't and, think Conte does. Not just for Spurs, but for any team. Yeah, exactly. It's all so weird. Um, and that's why I keep boosting. Because, it's unpredictable. You, know, you, could, you could foresee on the one hand... Um, so Spurs' main players at the World like the spine of Spurs' team is all going to be heavily involved in the World Cup. If you look at how many minutes, like Kane's played almost every minute, Lloris has played almost every minute, Dyer, Hoiberg have played almost every minute, Son's played a lot of minutes, and Benton Kerr's played Benton a lot of minutes. Benton Kerr will now, play every minute for Uruguay. Those, yeah, they will all yeah, play, yeah. If those teams have bad World Cups, then then they're going to be back at home by the 5th of December. And that means that I think, you know, they could have a bit of time off, they could have a bit of pre-season, they could have it, you know, sort of tuning up. And then by Brentford on Boxing Day, Spurs will be flying. Equally, I think it's totally plausible that France, England, Argentina, Denmark, for example, are the same Brazil with Richarlison. Brazil, yeah. Brazil, yeah. Yep. And obviously France have got a long play as well. And, and if, let's say, those four teams are in the World Cup semi-finals, then it's going to be really, really tough. It's going to be really hard because you're going to get players like physically and mentally exhausted flying back on, like, arriving back to Tottenham at, I don't know when, 20th of de- December. Uh, and all of a sudden it's like, all right, lads, we've got Brentford in four days' time. Uh, so it's, it's mad, it's impossible isn't it? To, it's impossible mad. to predict, impossible to guess. Just talking about the start there, of course, um, Spurs have the problem that they can never match their best ever start at the top level because... That was the double season of uh, 1961 um, when they started with um, 11 straight wins, as I, as I recall. Um, I'm too young to remember, of course, but I'm, I'm just telling you what I know. Lovely to see, Jack, a link with that team is still so much um, part of the scene. I don't know if you saw the photograph on, on on the internet. Cliff Jones, who played right wing in that team, 
um, Welsh person, 87 years of age these days, was in the away fans at the Emirates for the North London Derby. Um, he is just an extraordinarily fit old man. Um, do you remember the last day? Uh, we, had, we, we you probably weren't. Was, on the, yeah, the, yeah. Last day of the, the last day, of one of one day yeah. when people like um, Paul Gascoigne and um, uh, David Ginler um, were being invited to, from the edge of the pitch out to the centre circle, and they waddled out. I've got to be no pun intended. Cliff Jones' name got called out, and the man ran to the centre circle. It was absolutely bonkers. So he was at that famous. Did you see that famous photo the other day where? They had a lot of mainly players in the seventies and eighties. Uh, I think they had a lunch at Pochettino's house, um, right? So I think Ardiles and Villa and Villa were there. I think Garth Crooks, Mickey Hazard, Steve Perryman, but also Cliff Jones was there. Wow. I imagine would be the oldest player there in the sense yeah, that there wouldn't have been any there wouldn't have been anyone there who played for Tottenham before Cliff Jones. No, no, of course. So it's amazing no. that he's still in, he's still like an active part of that circle of yep. former Tottenham players, generally alongside guys who played for Tottenham 10, 20 years after he did. Yeah, and when I did, since I mentioned the Tottenham podcast, when I did my sporting life with Cliff, out of deference to his age, we didn't make him up to a studio in London. We went down to his house in Har- uh, went to his house in Hertfordshire to do it. That was absolutely ludicrous. Not only is he fitter than me, he's fitter than my producers, 40. Um, you know, and it was an amazing day because Cliff's wife, bless her, um, insisted we had a full lunch which she'd prepared, um, and we we did the interview, and it was it was great. He loves football, he loves Spurs. Um, the most incredible thing that came out of it was um, how he talked about how he got himself into trouble with alcohol um, soon after he finished playing, and the person who helped him was Jimmy Greaves, who having oh, been through it himself, yeah. Cliff Cliff talks about it with with. Um, Almost tearful about how Jimmy Greaves of all people was the one who said, "I've been there, Cliff, and I'm going to tell you how to how to how to lick it." Um, it was an extraordinary day. There he was at the Arsenal, even if he didn't get to see a victory. Um, one more about Everton. Then they're a decent team. They work hard. If Wobie's playing the best football um, of his life, I, I would guess. And Frank Lampard, you know, he knows how to set our team up. Um, but Spurs, if they start the front foot, should do okay. What about Kulusevski? Probably too early for him if he's just started training again. Well, he's had a few, he would have had a few days of training by then. He, I mean, I saw him yesterday. It's hard to tell. He was just walking around. It's hard. It's hard for me to tell. You've got, well, you've got no formal medical training for a start, have you? No, no, I, I don't have any. If only uh, you so, turned no, around I, and said, "Yes, I'm a qualified doctor," there, I would have had to eat um, H pie. Yeah, I would be making it up if mm, I guessed yeah. uh, what what condition he's in. To be honest, the last the they the last two games they have, I thought looked better. Uh, even though look, we've talked a lot about how dependent they are on Kulisewski, but I think when when everyone plays well, the team can create chances. The problem is that Kulisewski is so good that he kind of you, he he allows other players to be off their game, and he can still create chances. And Spurs can still score goals with him, um, even if you know other guys aren't at their best. So I'm actually starting to feel they may be a little bit less Kulisewski dependent than I thought they were. A week or two ago, but yeah, of course they need him back. He's a fantastic player. But if he doesn't, even if he doesn't come back for the Everton game, then I actually think Man United away is probably a more important game for him, uh, in the sense that they're really going to need a player of his level at that in that match. Yeah, as we saw. And to got it. And, 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 and quickly on the point of Everton, um, 
I do think they are looking quite a lot better than they were last season. Mm. I have to say that the last time they came to Tottenham when they lost 5-0 in March, that was one of the worst displays I've ever seen by a Premier League team. They were horrendous that day. Um, and the very fact that Lampard you know, managed to save them at the very end of last season just suggests to me that maybe, you know, it, what what a rescue job it looks like he's doing there. But... Um, yeah, I should. I don't think they'll be as. I don't think Everton will be as bad this Saturday as they were in March. I think that's almost physically impossible. But I do. Uh, I'd still probably be confident about Spurs' chances. And am I right in thinking their best player, uh, Anthony Gordon, is somehow managed to be the first Premier League player to five yellow cards and won't play? I don't know that. I'd be like, I'm not going to guess. I have a, well, in that case, I'm going to tell you I am right, even if I'm wrong. Okay. Um, uh, uh, Anthony Gordon won't play. He's suspended. How did he get to five yellow cards? Um, uh, uh, well. Ahead of, uh, of some of our defenders, for instance, let's be honest. Um, listen, Jack, thank you very, very much indeed. Um, and uh, thank you all for listening for the last uh, hour, whatever it's been. Um, and let me make a traditional reminder, um, and it's, it's as pertinent as ever, that if you're not already an Athletic subscriber, you can sign up and read all of the brilliant Spurs stuff from Jack and Tim and others. Um, as well as a whole pile of other gear that you'd like to read as well if you love the football. Uh, just go to athletic.com forward slash Spurs pod and sign up right now for just £1 a month for six months. That's the athletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Thanks for listening. We'll be back Monday. The Athletic.